Good morning. Welcome. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Uh, I heard a fantastic, and I like that. <laughs> so this week, I watch a lot of TV, and I was thinking about how when... Have you ever noticed, like in a TV or a movie, where when somebody goes underwater, I'm not talking like scuba diving, just where they're swimming, uh, it seems like they stay underwater for longer than humanly possible. Everybody notice that? So I started thinking, you know what, the next thing I watch, I'm going to hold my breath when they go under just to see how that works. Unfortunately, the next thing was Finding Nemo, and I almost died. Okay. I was nervous about that one, thank you. So, we're starting a new series today. Uh, called I Am. And so it's going to be about God, about who God is. Uh, there's a scripture where Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? Asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And we're also going to be talking about who you say he is, who he is to you, who he can be to you, and who you can be through him. And so to me, when, I, when Tim talked to me about this series and, and I started thinking about it and praying about it and knowing that I was going to open it here, one of the biggest things to me is that he is the God of second chances, the God of third chances, fourth chances, just if we give our lives to him. So I want to talk about that. And so I want to go to my, one of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite passages, just about a wonderful example of this. And so this is John 21, 1 through 19. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter... Uh, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing at night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. So sometimes I tell you uh, not to jump ahead in the story. Like when, when we know the story, when we've heard it a lot, when we've read it a lot, when it's something that's been talked about a lot, uh, we, we get ahead of ourselves, and it can take away the lesson. Today I'm going to ask something a little bit different. I want you to put yourself into the position of Peter. So not just you watching this, but imagine that you are Peter. And so basically... Uh, Peter, the last time he, Jesus had appeared to the disciples a few times now and had talked to them. But the last time that Peter probably holds on to, the last time he really remembers everything is when he denied Jesus three times. So he knew, you know, he had the big production about Jesus saying, hey, you're going to do this. And Peter's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. I'll never do this. And then he did it and he realized and, and he's carrying that with him. So even as Jesus met him, after the resurrection, he carries that. Now, he, he still loves Jesus and he talks to him, but I know that he's feeling it. And so take that with you. Uh, imagine that you are holding on to something like that, that you are feeling something where you messed up, where you absolutely are at fault, and you're there as Jesus is coming. And so how does Jesus come here? First, he comes to them where they are again. Just like with the wise men and just like with Mary and just like with the disciples, he comes to us where we are. That does not mean that we don't seek Jesus, because we do. That's our lives. But he also seeks us. He wants us. He loves us. No matter what we've done, no matter who we are, he loves us. And that's such a cool thing. So he's coming there, and he's standing, and he's helping them with fishing, and he's being comforting and peaceful and helpful. Peter 
is returning to fishing. Now, there's a lot of different theological theories about what he's doing, whether he's going back to his old life or whether he's just fishing for food or whether he just needed work or whether he's waiting, whatever. The point is that's something that's stable for him, something he understands. And he understands that Jesus' forgiveness, he's seen real life examples of Jesus being forgiveness, but sometimes it's different when it's us. We hold on to those things. Uh, I know that for myself, I hold myself to a standard that's way up here. And I'm not even talking morally, like you know it's important to do that. I'm talking if I mess up, like if I had this table slightly off center, which I think I do, I'm going to remember that later. And just things like that, and I just go at myself all of the time. And if anybody has known me, you know that uh, it's very hard for me to accept a compliment. And it's because I have this just image of what I need to be, and I never quite reach it. And for ourselves, we often do that. Maybe not to that extreme, hopefully, but we often do that, and, and we remember those things. And even after someone's forgiven us, even after we've asked Jesus for forgiveness, we sometimes think, yeah, but I don't deserve this. I don't deserve a second chance. And so all of that is going through Peter's heart as Jesus is there talking about fish. And probably, uh, I used to have a teacher. This is not a jump, don't worry. Uh, back in sixth grade, so a long time ago, and there were ankylosauruses and all kinds of things around. And so uh, he would, when he would leave the room, he was a scary guy. Mr. Von Dielingen, I remember him. Uh, he was a scary guy. He was my science teacher. And when he would leave the room, like he had this rule, if anybody talks, they get detention. And so uh, I remember one time he left the room and I just talked because I did. And I wasn't like a troublemaker, but whatever reason for this day. And I was able to talk myself out of detention, don't worry. But I said something and like as he came back in the room, I am just tense because I don't want to get in trouble. And I'm like, who's going to tell? Is he going to know? And all this stuff. And, you know, maybe with your parents or maybe with somebody else, your boss or something, like you have this thing. You're like, what if they see this? What if they know this? What if they hear this? What if they feel this? And so Peter is going through all of that right now. And so we go to the next verse, verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled and loaded the, and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now, uh, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They all knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. It's cool that just like the tomb, which we talked about last week, uh, John recognizes Jesus first. Like he hears it, he feels it, he sees him. And Peter acts first. And again, we see who they are and we see their heart. We see how they led. We see just everything about them. And it's so cool. And again, remember everything Peter's feeling. Despite all of that, and whatever his reasons for fishing were, as soon as he saw Jesus, as soon as he recognized Jesus, as soon as he knew Jesus, he ran to him. A lot of times, a lot of times we think, well, I can't really go to church until I'm right. Or I can't really 
help somebody until I'm, I'm right, until I'm good. I can't, I can't really do this until I'm good. I can't really do that until I'm good. I can't really volunteer for VBS until I'm just really good. Peter had all of that going on, and yet he saw Jesus, and he ran to him. That's how we have to be. Run to Jesus because he is our safe place. He is our savior. He is our everything. And he was there. And it's really cool because Peter uh, carries 153 fish in the net. Uh, and so that's roughly 300 pounds. That's a lot of weight. That's strong. And Peter wasn't exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger or The Rock or whoever's Tim Oldfield, somebody whoever's strong now. Like he wasn't exactly that. But Jesus' love was filling him. And through Jesus, we're able to do things that we cannot imagine that we're able to do. And so Peter ran, and he went and got it, and he, he just is so excited to see him, even though he has this feeling in the pit of his stomach. And now picture Jesus here, because this is after the resurrection. And what is he doing? He's serving. He's making breakfast. Uh, I did a wedding yesterday, and I am exhausted today, and that's just a wedding. And Jesus had been resurrected and gone through all of these things. Nobody left, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> and had gone through all of these things, and yet he's serving. He shows who he is. When we are tired, we serve. When uh, we don't feel good, we serve. And so that's what he's doing, and it's so amazing and such an amazing example for the disciples. And Peter finds strength in that. He finds strength in him. And all of this is coming to the point, which is verse 15. And this is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible, I believe. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. This is such a beautiful moment. Because Jesus could have just walked up to Peter and said, I forgive you. And that's what happened. But what he did was see inside Peter's heart saw the turmoil, saw the vortex of emotion, saw everything that he felt and how he was thinking, yeah, but I did this publicly, Lord. I'm supposed to be the rock of the church and I publicly said I didn't know you. I lied. I ran. I, I, I cut off a guy's ear. Everything we've said before. And Jesus said, okay, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these disciples? Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than these doubts? Do you love me more than these politicians? Do you love me more than this political party? Do you love me more than this sports team? Do you love me more than whatever it is you cling to? And Peter said, yes, Lord, of course I do. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, yes, I love you, Lord. That's two. That's why I have two fingers up. Third time. Do you love me? And it says Peter was hurt. He wasn't hurt by Jesus. He was hurt because he realized in that moment what Jesus was doing. And he's like, wow. 
I let this guy down. I let the Savior down. I let the Lord down. I let God down. And he is giving me exactly what I need. He doesn't have to do that, but he's giving me exactly what I need publicly. Peter had a very public display of anti-faith, I guess we'll say. And so Jesus was restoring him publicly in front of the disciples, not shaming him, not rebuking him, not hating him, not saying, hey, do you love me? Uh, Well, then earn it. You know, go and do this. Go and carry that fish net around the block three times or or, or go and do this. Go and earn your way back. You're going to start at the bottom and come back up to the top. He said, do you love me? Yes. Then do it. That is what it means to be the God of second chances. Because he knew Peter's heart. And he knew who he was and who he served. He knew he was sorry. And Peter felt all of that. He felt all of that as this is happening. And he felt that he didn't deserve another chance. Well, none of us deserve another chance. And yet, God gives it to us. There are three words we hear often. Uh, They are justice, mercy, and grace. So I'm going to define them real quick, and there will be a test after. Justice is when you get what you deserve. It's when you get what you deserve. So Jim steals my car, and then gets arrested. He got what he deserved. I mean, not going to get very far. It's not a great car, but still. He got what he deserved. All right, yeah, let's fill it up before you bring it back. So gets what he deserves. Mercy is where you don't get what you deserve. Uh, This is a harder one to do an example for, but I'm going to, let's say Kelly uh, comes up here and she throws my scripture across and she's like, come on. And then she starts singing or something. I don't know why she would do that because she's nice. And then, you know, we're like, oh, we forgive you, Kelly. That's it, That's, that's mercy. Grace. Grace is where you get what you don't deserve. And so Peter did not deserve a second chance. He did not deserve to still be the rock of the church. He did not deserve to have Jesus restore him publicly. And yet, through God's grace, through Jesus' love, through this moment, he got a second chance. He was restored publicly. He was given the same spot he had. He was given forgiveness. He didn't deserve it, but he got it. That's grace. Jesus died on the cross so that all of us could have grace. The song Amazing Grace isn't just a pretty song. It's about God's grace, about the second chances we get, about the fact that all of us need those. And it's such a beautiful moment. And it's such an amazing thing because this is shortly after the resurrection. And if there's anybody in the history of time that didn't have to do something like this, it's Jesus. Because he didn't mess up. He didn't need a second chance. He did everything right and perfect and loving the first time. And yet he knows our heart. And he goes to where we are. And he knows what we need. And he does it. And he loves us. And he gave this to Peter. He gave this amazing gift, this amazing grace. And he showed him who he can be, and it's such a cool thing. And he spoke directly to Peter. The disciples are around, and I like that two of them are just the other two. 
But the disciples, John is kind of funny. But the disciples are around. And he looks right at Peter while they're around. And he says, do you love me? Yes. Then keep loving me. Minister in my name. Be who I know you are. And here's the key. And Peter even kind of gets this. Jesus was not asking, do you love me? Because he didn't know. He knew Peter loved him. He saw him run out of the boat carrying the fish. He asked him so that Peter would know. So that Peter would have the chance to have a second chance for how he had messed up. So he would have the chance to publicly say, I do love you. And he did it. And it's such a cool thing. It's such a beautiful thing. It's a simple question. Do you love me more than? But it's one that sometimes we struggle with. And I'm not even talking about things that we put in front of him. I'm talking about our own pain and our own guilt and our own things that we don't think can be forgiven. But I say again, Jesus did not say, earn your way back. He did not say, you're never going to be back to where you were. You've already messed up. The puzzle's broken. It's never going to be good again. He said, if you love me, then go and show it. If you love me, then live it. If you love me, then show it to other people. If you love me, then minister. There's a quote, and I use C.S. Lewis a lot because I like him a lot. Uh, And so the quote is, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. One of the things that I struggle with in terms of the not being perfect thing, which I'm very aware of, but I think, man, I told this joke and nobody laughed, and I just, I can never get that back. And I think that. And that's a minor stupid example, and there are other bigger things that we all struggle with with that. You can't. Peter can never go back and proclaim the Lord in that moment. That moment happened. He denied him three times. He did it. And he can live the rest of his life carrying that and looking at that and saying, I'm never going to get past that. Or he can say, okay, I can't change that, but I'm going to learn from it. And I'm going to change the ending. That's what we can do. That is what forgiveness means. That's what a second chance means. Uh, The title of this message today is Requel. Now, I know some of you are like, who is Raquel? And some of you are like, is that a real word? And some of you are like, I didn't even know the title until you just said it. And that's all fine. Uh, Requel is a word which... Okay, so movies in the weeds for a second. So you may have noticed that lately, and by lately I mean throughout the history of Hollywood, uh, they will go back and reboot movies and just kind of do the same thing over and over again, etc. That's why there's 19 Batman and all that stuff. A requel is where it's not a reboot and it's not a sequel, but it's a continuation with a nod to what came before. So just for example, although I don't have one off the top of my head, uh, a Bond movie. A Bond movie understands that other movies came before and they don't reimagine it, but it's kind of a fresh take. And so that's what a second chance is. You're not rebooting because all of that still happened, but it doesn't drag you down. 
you're going again from that point. You're starting fresh with lessons of the past, which is so valuable. It's kind of like going back to kindergarten and knowing everything you know now. Now, that would probably make you insane around second grade, but it's kind of like just knowing that you're forgiven. Knowing that you can learn from your mistakes. Knowing how those mistakes affected other people, knowing how your choices affected other people, and yet being free to start fresh. So you carry all of that, and it's such an amazing thing. And it's, that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. That's what Jesus is showing, it, showing us. It's moving forward, forgiven. Understanding that that denial happened. And that it's a part of a story. But there's a lot more story to be written. And that denial can now become a lesson to other people. And he can say, hey, I was low. I messed up bad. And, and yet I was forgiven. And so I'm telling you that you can be forgiven. And that's so cool. And all of us have that chance. Verse 18. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter died, I believe, upside down on the cross because he was a Christian, because he followed Jesus. Now, it may seem strange to us that right after he's been publicly restored and said, hey, all is forgiven. You can go forward to say, you're going to die for this. And so for us, we're like, wow, why, why didn't he you know, give it a little bit of time? Or why didn't he ease into it? This was as important to Peter as the forgiveness. Because this was saying, hey, your plan, the plan I have for your life is still there. I didn't give it to Thomas. I didn't give it to this person. You can still fulfill this. You are going to be a pastor. You are going to be the rock of the church. You are going to start churches. You are going to change lives. You are going to be like me. And Peter was so touched by that. Because again, it wasn't, yeah, you got to earn your way back up. You, gotta, you lost to the number one seed or the number ten seed and you have to drop down and then climb back up to the top. You ask for forgiveness. You've been forgiven. The plan for your life is still there. All you have to do is follow it. And it's such a cool thing. It's easy. It's easy to question why. Why did I have to do that? Why did they have to do that? Why did this have to happen? Why me? Or, or what if? What if? I could just change this. What if I could just change that? What if I could just say this one thing and make them see and make them understand? Or why is their life different? Why is their plan different? After this, Peter, uh, Jesus talks about John's plan a little bit, the disciple Jesus loved, and how he's not going to die, basically, because he wrote Revelation. So all of the disciples were martyred for the faith. John was exiled and wrote Revelation and lived old age. And it would be easy for Peter to be like, why? I, I appreciate the forgiveness, but 
This is so different. Or it would be easy for us to be like, well, how come that person over there gets chosen to do this and I've gone to church my whole life? Or how come? How come they get the applause? Or how come I don't get this? Or blah, blah, blah. We all do this. All of us. I have another quote from someone who's also awesome, Stan Lee. No one has a perfect life. Everybody has something that he wishes was not the way it is. Every single person here, every single person here has had a requel at some point. Has carried something, has asked for forgiveness, and has been forgiven. Has moved forward. Every single person here. And so we see the perfection. This is one of the, the big flaws with social media. Uh, because we see on social media somebody's life looks really perfect. Because you're not going to post like the lowlights of your life. If you're a, a chef, uh, you're not going to post like the, the cake that went upside down on accident. And like, no, I don't know how to cook. You're going to post the perfect one, the, the, the one that looks, wow, this is just amazing. This is what a cake's supposed to look like. And so we think that person has a perfect life. That person has a perfect plan. That person is perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody. Every single person here, and I'm going to go person by person and ask what's something you wish was different. I'm not going to do it. I'm just joking. I was curious if there'd be a line out the door. No, but every single person here, and not just here, in there, and not just in there, but at home, and not just at home, but around the world. Every single person has something that they wish was different. Billy Graham, C.S. Lewis, obviously Peter, everybody needed forgiveness needed another chance, needed to grow, needed to understand. All of us have a plan for our lives. And it may seem like someone else's plan is more important or bigger or whatever. No plan that God has for you is better or worse than the plan he has for someone else. None. It's all part of this giant puzzle. Each of us, each of our lives is a piece in a giant puzzle that is God's plan. All of us can answer that question, do you love me more than these? Then go and feed my sheep. Everyone has a plan for their life. And comparing it to other people just affects that difficulty we have with accepting forgiveness or giving forgiveness. With accepting that we have a second chance. Whatever it is that you carry, Whatever it is that in your life you messed up, whatever it is that in your life you weren't perfect, whatever it is that in your life you just weren't a good example, whatever it is that you have said or done, whether it was 50 years ago or 20 years ago or yesterday, God will give you a second chance. You can be forgiven. The message of Easter is one of grace and victory and hope and peace and second chances and forgiveness. I have one more quote, and this one's actually for me, although I'm sure other people have said it. As long as there is life, 
there is hope. As long as you are alive, there is hope for you to do better. As long as you are in this earth, or on this earth, there is a chance for you to do better. There is a chance for you to improve. There's a chance for your life to change. As long as you are here, There is hope. Peter denied Jesus three times. I don't think sometimes that we understand how bad that is. Because Jesus was about to die for Peter. And Peter went from cutting off a guy's ear and getting ready to fight to, I don't know him. It's not a very good ministry. And he did it three different times. And he carried that. And yet, Jesus said, Here's another chance. You're forgiven seven times. Seven times, 70 times. Call back. Because you're alive and there's hope. Because there's life and there's hope. Because in Him, He is life and He is hope. We have a chance at all of this. It's so amazing to learn, to grow, to forgive others, to accept forgiveness for ourselves. And to forgive ourselves. And to go forward in His name. Learning from the past. Growing. Understanding that we can show that same hope to other people. People that seem hopeless. In the Bible, we picture different heroes and the big names like David and Moses. And I picked those for a reason because both of them are murderers. That's pretty bad. And yet, both of them had a plan for their lives. And they were forgiven because they asked, because they changed. No one is beyond redemption if you accept Jesus. And you accept that hope that only He offers. Because He is the God of hope. He is the God of second chances. That's all I got.